Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Have you ever had to prep a sermon and you just looked at your bookshelf and you didn't have enough of what you needed? Well, you don't have to do that. Go to Logos.com. Logos Bible Software has everything that you need at pretty much at your fingertips because you're literally typing stuff in and with the click of a mouse button, you can open the entire C.H. Spurgeon Library. You can look up original languages, word studies. I mean, this thing is like the Lollapalooza of church planning information. You can have a little mini concert in your sermon prep right there. All the greats kind of gathered around and picking their brains and putting them into your sermon. And you want to check out LogosBibleSoftware.com. They'll actually make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, Church Planner, welcome back to Hardcore Church Planning. This is Peyton Jones. I am my uh, solo host and my co-host. Me and myself lead this. Uh, and I have a guest, though. And my guest today is Mark Randall. And let me introduce Mark to you. I didn't know uh, who Mark was until uh, very recently. Um, he reached out to us over at Bible Inner Circle and he has come into some bivocational church planning goodness. He is the director of R&D, that stands for Research and Development for Athletes in Action. As you know, we've got a changing culture. And because of that, uh, Mark, and because of the work that he's done and the things that he's discovered, uh, was put in charge of R&D to help fund uh, church planters and missionaries into the future. So, Dan, welcome to Hardcore. Yeah, thanks, Peyton. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to get to talk to you and looking forward to seeing what we can uh, what we can help others with. Yeah, man. Well, as we were talking, I think I could have geeked out with you on this stuff for, for quite a while. And then it was like, hey, I actually, we need to do this. I'm going to hit a record button and we're going to get this thing going because otherwise me and you are just going to keep talking about all this rad stuff and no one's going to hear it. So yeah. give me a little bit. First off, first question we like to ask uh, very briefly, how you came to Christ just helps us get to know you. And then we want to hear about what you've been up to and how you got called on a mission. So tell us how you came to, to know Jesus. Yeah, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, but a, a non-church family, um, just kind of typical uh, family um, and didn't know anything at all about Christianity, about Jesus, anything like that. And somehow, I mean, it seemed like there was a church on every corner in Richmond, but I just didn't go, didn't understand, never even asked about it. So I, I, I headed off to the University of Virginia just to pursue um, getting a good degree and hopefully making a lot of money. And that was just pretty much my whole, whole worldview. And my roommate filled out one of those little freshman surveys and somebody at Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, the mission organization, came by my dorm room to follow up my roommate. And he 
he he was talking with these two guys and they were talking about Jesus and God loves you and man being sinful and separated and um, you can accept Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I'm overhearing this conversation and I said, hey, what are you guys talking about? So they, they came over and shared the little Four Spiritual Laws booklet with me. And I said, so this is Christianity? And they're like, yeah, in a nutshell. And I go, wow, this is crazy. I, I can't believe this. I've uh, never heard of this stuff. And so they said, well, if you ever have questions, you know, feel free to ask. So I would ask them questions as the weeks went by. I'd see them in the dorms, walking around, talking to people. And uh, spring break rolled around. And I got a free trip, one of these package deals where you have the bus and the hotel and through a service club I was in. Uh, um, and so I'm down there having a good time, partying it up. And um, Campus Crusade goes down there for spring break uh, beach evangelism where they just go out and randomly meet people on the, the beach. Well, I was out at a, at a party uh, on a um, Wednesday night, came home to the hotel and I ran into these two students out on the pool and we started talking and the, then the police came out and said, Hey, break up this party. So I said, goodbye. Within 15 minutes later, there's a party going on in one of the hotel rooms and I get invited by my roommates to come on down there. So I go on down there, these two students, uh, I see them again that I'd met at the pool and they see me, I'm sitting over by the air conditioner and, um, they, they, you know, they come into the party and they see me and they, they make a beeline for me and they, they go, Hey, we're here with campus crusade for Christ, um, spring break. And we're talking to people about their faith and just asking them questions. And would you be open to talking? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know these two guys back at the university of Virginia. Where are you guys from? Oh, we're from Duke university. Oh, cool. And so, Hey, have you ever seen this little book and the four spiritual laws? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. And they're, they say, would you like to go through it again? And I said, sure. So they're flipping the pages, telling me about God loving me. I'm being sinful and separated. And I, in my mind, I started thinking, why have I not accepted this? I don't really, I don't, I don't understand it fully, but I, I don't know why I'm not accepting it. And so in my mind, I kind of tuned them out and I'm thinking, and I kind of came to the conclusion, man, I should accept this. And at the, at that moment they stopped and they go, it seems like you're agreeing with us, you know, uh, what's keeping you from receiving Christ as your savior and Lord. And I said, I don't have any more reasons. So they go, well, you can pray right now to receive Christ if you want. And I said, well, what does that mean? So they flip the page and, uh, go through this simple prayer. You know, what I've kind of learned is the sinner's prayer. And, um, they said, does this prayer express the desire of your heart? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, let's pray it. And I go, well, how do you do that? And then they go, well, we'll, we'll say it. Then you repeat after me and, and just talk to God, um, just as you're, as you're talking. And so we went through the prayer. Um, I was like, I go, stood up, gave him a big hug, said, wow. And I said, do you guys know the guys at Virginia? And they're like, well, no, but they're probably here at the conference. So that was Thursday, 1 a.m., March the 11th, 1987. They wrote it on the back of the book. And so we arranged to meet Friday at 8 a.m. They picked me up at the Voyager Hotel took me down to the desert inn. I go into this big conference room with a thousand students singing and praising the Lord. I kind of wondered what I got myself into, but sure enough, Don and Chris, the two guys from Virginia were there and they welcomed me. I spent the whole day with them. 
And that was like the first day of discipleship. Um, went back to Virginia and uh, got involved in Bible study and discipleship and church and um, missions and uh, the rest is history, as they say. But yeah. I really feel I really feel like God, you know, did one of those things where He just yanked me out of this world and put me on a new direction. Yep, and another one bites the dust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, this is awesome because you. Uh, you know, just looking at your bio here, you graduated from the University of Virginia with a BS in commerce in 1990, yep. joined Cruz, yep. a full-time missionary in 1990, raised 100% of your funding as a missionary. And then get this, you started campus ministry at the University of Delaware and then right. ended up with your wife going to Russia, China yep. for three years, Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, Virginia, and Delaware. I guess those are foreign countries. Yep. I was born in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> um, four years, and then Pennsylvania, two years, and New York, nineteen years. So I yeah, mean, when we when we came around. back from yeah when we came back from uh, China, uh, my wife was expecting with our first child, six months, you know, pregnant. So we like to say he was made in China, and then uh, <laughs> we, we we wanted to move somewhere. Dude, my folks are in Richmond. Though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's uh, he's 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 well made, you know. <laughs> anyway, we'll get in wonderfully. Yeah, we'll, we'll get in trouble. So we uh, dad jokes. That's right. We went to um, we chose Rochester because there's eight universities here, and there wasn't uh, crew ministries on any of them. And we'd just been to China to start new ministries and uh, learn the language, and we were like, you know. Rochester, New York is my wife's hometown. Her parents here. We have a church, a home church that supports us as missionaries, and we could launch ministries on these eight campuses. So uh, that's how we ended up here for the past 19 years is we just decided to settle down. Well, very cool, man. And here's a weird thing. I read on, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I read on Amazon that, so here you are, you're this missionary. But if I read Amazon comments correctly, you're a millionaire at the same yeah, time. And, yeah, and so here's the thing. I'm matching these two things up. It's kind of like uh, was once said, ah, church planning and money. Hard to get them in the same room at the same time. You could say it about missionaries, right? Because right, so many sure. people just don't like to fundraise. But here you are. You've been in ministry almost all your life. And yep. yet, according to your book, How to Talk to a Millionaire, or How to Ask a Millionaire for Money, which is on Amazon.com, right. was your first book, um, you've raised over $5 million in funding, but you, I can't say stumbled into something, but you knew that there was a better way for missionaries, particularly bivocational missionaries, to fund themselves than just living off the cheap and scrounging to get by. I want to yep. hear that story. Tell us, because this is what people have come here to hear, is you've tapped into something, Mark, that yep. was revolutionary for you and potentially revolutionary for everyone listening today. What happened? Yeah. So, you know, being with the business degree background, I've always, um, you know, w wanted to be faithful with whatever resources God gave me. And you know, we give 10%, we invest 30%, and we live off of 60% of our budget. So I always tell people, it's not how much money you, you earn, it's how much you spend. If you earn a million a year and you spend a million in a year, you're going to have zero at the end of the year. If I earn, you know, 60000 a year and I spend, 
what give uh, six thousand and and spend you know sixty percent of that and save and invest thirty percent at the end of the year. I'm going to have more than the millionaire. So we did that faithfully for all these years. And um, this is like what you said. I stumbled across something is I, I wanted to be faithful, and I I realized my tithe was always going to be capped at the uh, missionary level income. And I thought, but my investments don't have to be capped. You know, if my investments go through the roof, uh, my tithe is going to go through the roof. So my motivation was to do something to make, you know, to kind of break out of the box of being in the mission funded. And yeah, that's, I, I did, uh, stumble across, I think, a great bivocational solution for for missionaries around the world and church planners around the world. And um, it, it's multi-unit apartment buildings, high-end multi-unit apartment buildings. Something, something at least grossing um, in, in the two hundred thousand dollar range. And I, I'm going to probably get into terms that might, you know not be understandable, but so go ahead and ask questions. But basically in 2010, uh, we bought a million dollar 18 unit apartment building in a real high end area of Rochester, New York. And, um, yeah, that's really where we launched into being, uh, what you'd call a millionaire. Okay. So stop the tape, right? Cause everyone's yep. like, Oh, well forget that then, man. Like here's a guy right. good with his money. He just buys a million dollar building at uh, next. All right. Next guest. Get past this podcast. Right. right. Because they're thinking there's no way I can do that. But, yep. you know, uh, I'm trying to switch off my commercial voice because I'm not selling anything, but like, yeah. I, I know your story. So right. I, to me, this is fascinating because I already know that our listeners don't know that you didn't just have a million dollars to throw around. Um, right. how did you do that? Yeah. So, um, the, the neat thing about, uh, income producing properties is the banks are more interested in the, the income coming from the property than they are in your own income. So, you know, my income is not, you know, I, I never even crossed the taxable, you know, federal or state income level as a missionary. So it's not like, you know, they're being sold on that. Um, I had to come up with the down payment and I pulled together money from this source, that source. Uh, we borrowed some from a, a relative. We borrowed some from a friend. We borrowed from our 403B. We took out money out of our home equity. Um, you know, we just scrounged together the money to put as the down payment, but we, um, we were able to finance the rest through just a local bank that, um, you know, does commercial loans. So it's very different than a residential loan. Um, so this is considered a commercial loan. And if you find the right property and it's grossing the rents that uh, cover the loan, banks are going to be happy to give you the money. That's cool, man. So, um, so, okay. So you pulled together from various sources, like you said, 403B, borrowing money. Um, you had some savings and then the bank, finance the rest, right? Yep. So yep. and and so how much a year is this property grossing and how much are you taking home? So you bought this right. 18 just again an 18 unit apartment building. Uh, Correct. And and so you're you're managing the property for 8 hours a yep. week. So it's like a one day a week you're working and you're bringing Correct. in how much gross and net from that? 
Right. So the gross is up to $213,000 a year and the net is over 100000 a year. So the net, uh, 100000 and I keep a, a work journal and it takes less than eight hours a week to manage it. Right. Okay. Awesome. So, I mean, if you could, if you, if, you know, if you could sign up to earn a hundred thousand a year for eight hours a week, would you do it? Oh, heck yeah, man. Yeah. Heck yeah. And I think it's, yeah, go ahead. It's to me, it's in our wheelhouse too. It's dealing with people. You know, we can love on people. Most tenants hate their, their landlord, their property manager, their owner, you know, because the, they don't do it. Um, they don't do what they say they're going to do. They're unethical. They, they cheat them. They keep their security deposits. Right. Um, you know, it's in our wheelhouse. We, we, we do what we say we're going to do. We, we, we take care of people. We, we fix things when they need fixing. You know, it's, it's a great, I think it's a, a really perfect fit for, for what we do. Yeah, man. Big time. You know, it's funny because I got an apartment building right behind my house and I, my gears have just been turning. Like, how cool would it be to own the apartment complex behind me? You know, cause I'm, yep. I'm in a beach yeah. neighborhood now. Yeah. <laughs> that property is going to be more than probably, uh, what, what you're talking here. Just sure. It's Carlsbad, California. It's right by the yep. beach. But I mean, I'm yep. just thinking, man, what, there's already so much ministry opportunity just from being those guys' neighbors, you know, but yep, what yep. you're talking about there, I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. And, and the financing, you know, there's, I was just reading another report about um, seller financing as an option uh, where you find a, an owner of a building that's had it for 10, 15, 20 years. And um, you know, he, he's ready to get out of it and you, you get it from uh, from being a um, uh, you get the seller to finance the sale to you. Wow, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my 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 mom bought a house that way years ago. Um, she actually yeah. found the guy who was moving to Germany, um, uh, and he financed it for her. He was he was well off, and she she bought it from him off of his financing. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I I have. I have a building right next to me that's in my, where my build 18 unit is and there, it's 22 units. It's kind of like a sister building. And, um, the guy is in his sixties. He's owned it for 30 some odd years. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to him already about doing a seller finance deal. Um, cause I think it's a great deal for everyone. He, he gets a monthly payment, just, like he's the bank basically. Right. Right. Very cool. Well, man, that's yeah. amazing. So, so really, if you were to give people kind of like a, a one to, you know, uh, the first couple steps to this, what would be your kind of summary? Like, Hey, you want to do this? Really what you're doing is you're, you're using real estate wisely to create in, you know, income for yourself to free you up to do mission. And this is what I always like okay. to talk about that. Um, it's maximum income, it's maximum exposure to people and it's minimum time investment. So right. you're, you're literally, you're, you're doing all the things I learned to do 17 years as a, um, as a bivocational church planner, but I, yet I never would have ever thought of doing it like this. Like this would have right. never occurred to me. Give us like the five easy dance steps, you know, just in summary of how to get started. And then I want to talk after that about something you started up to help others. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess perspective is you got to start by faith and and um, asking for the Lord's favor as well. You know, if you if you're going to do something big and and um, and different and break out of the box of you know the norm as missionaries, you know, we live off of donations and completely 100 percent you raise it you get paid you don't raise it you don't get paid and uh we're you know we're balanced on a one-legged stool and so uh coming out with something radically different you know like this you gotta by faith pursue it and have the lord's favor be upon you and um so it's just the vision to do something different is the i think you gotta you gotta get to the point where you're like I'm just not going to keep doing the same thing and getting the same results. It's what do they call that insanity, right? Expecting different results and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was a big step. It was a big risk, but you know, I remember the day we went into closing and there's like two feet of paperwork that we're signing through and there's three commercial real estate lawyers and you know, all this legal stuff's going on and I'm like looking at my wife going all right, by faith, by faith, you know, <laughs> right, right. Scary. You know, it's a whole nother world. Yeah. Right. So that's the first step. But I, you know, the other thing I did that I think was probably, we haven't talked about this yet was there's a old, older man, an elderly man in my church. He's 75 years old and he's been in real estate his entire life. And I know he'd been quite successful and he supports us, you know, 50 bucks a month as missionaries. And so I went to him and I at church and I said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Um, would you help me? And so I would say, you know, you got to find somebody who knows what they're doing and have a mentor walk you through your first deal. Um, that's, I think really you, you need that or else you're just uh, going to set yourself up for failure. The, right. you know, what he told me at that lunch was he goes, Mark, in real estate, your biggest mistake is usually your first mistake. And, um, and so he said, don't buy a headache. Uh, you have a beautiful life. You're the buyer. You know, why go out there and buy a headache? So he goes, and you know what the best thing you've done so far is? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you asked me for help. And I said, that's right. I, yep. so I, I knew I needed help. And, um, and so he walked me through, he went through how he appraises properties, how he, um, you know, views what to make an offer. He showed me how the expenses work, the net operating income, the, the, um, the debt ratio. I mean, he, he showed me everything. And, um, so, yeah, I really think, I don't, I don't think you can even get to steps three, four and five until you, until you, you know, have a mentor to help you. That's brilliant, man. What, what are some other things that you did? Um, well, I mean, we went and started looking at properties and we started walking through properties and, and just getting a lay of the land and, and trying to see what was available. Um, we started pulling together our finances so that we could make an offer. Um, so we had the cash up front. I had to put 50 grand down as a, when I made the offer as the, like, a um, you know, this is a legitimate uh, purchase offer and here's 50 right. grand, right. you know, and this put into escrow. Um, and, uh, th- it's interesting. Um, we, we walked through enough buildings that I really knew what I was looking for. And the property I ended up with was under contract, meaning somebody else had already put a purchase offer on it. 
So two months went by and uh, on a Wednesday afternoon, the real estate agent called me and said, Hey, Mark, you remember that property at 700 East Ave? I said, yeah, they go, the, the sellers are starting to get anxious about selling because the, the buyer that's under contract has been dragging their feet. And uh, this is a Wednesday. He goes, I've, I've set up a group of investors to come look at it next Tuesday. Would you be interested in being in one of the, uh, you know, in that group? That And I said, no. I go, I'll offer you the money right now. <laughs> I'd already done the research, wow. right? I'd already, yeah. I'd already done my research. I had the money ready. And uh, he goes, what? And I go, yeah, I go, I go, let's get the paperwork drawn up. If the sellers are willing to take me as the new, you know, purchase agreement, I'll put in a purchase agreement right now. So uh, by Friday noon, we had a signed agreed upon purchase agreement. And the, you know, the investors that were looking to look at it next Tuesday, you know, they basically had to cancel that showing because, because I was locked down. And um, so that's, I I guess I'm giving little tips here is like, you know, you do your research, you do your due diligence, you get your money lined up, you, you, right. you're ready, you, you've walked through properties, you feel confident to make an offer. And then when the opportunity comes up, you, you pull the trigger quickly. You don't, cause somebody, you know, somebody else could grab it. Right. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. okay. So tell me, you know, in 2018, this year, you launched something called vivosolutions.com. Yep. And that was right. to help other missionaries, ministers, and church planners learn how to be BIVO property managers of high-end multi-unit apartment buildings. Um, right. So, and as well as how to purchase buildings with limited personal finances. I'm interested Correct. in that. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So, as a part of you know wanting to replicate what I've done uh, personally, because I feel like it can be replicated. It's not rocket science. It's quite a traditional industry. Um, and, you know, every everyone in real estate benefits. I mean, the lawyers get paid, the real estate agents get paid, the, the, um, uh, the property manager gets paid, uh, inspectors get paid, um, title insurance gets paid. So I realized in this industry, uh, everyone can benefit um, as transactions happen. So if I can replicate what I've done, finding high end, and, the, and we haven't talked about this yet, but high end means um, the tenants that you're going to go after aren't uh, going to trash the place. They're, they're going to pay their rent on time. And in eight years, I haven't had to evict a single tenant. Um, so, you know, some of the nightmare stories you hear about tenants being so horrible, uh, that's the difference between, you know, um, you know, what we might call a slumlord type of situation versus a high-end situation. So right. um, just for the sake of making the most amount of money and the least amount of effort, the high-end is, is you know, is the way it's got to go. Well, that's um, a good pro tip because I think most people would think, oh, we'll start lower because we'll get a cheaper property, and then the headaches are, are probably it, there. It, exactly, yeah. I mean, I feel fortunate that God spared me from that route, but that also came from my mentor. Where he said, "Don't buy a headache," because you know there are a lot of headaches. You know the toilets and and uh, tenants, they they tease the termites. Uh, you know they they there's lots of things that can cause oh, headaches my, when you own. <laughs> so my, my mom used to uh, she managed a property um, for that guy who who financed her house, 
He had a bunch yeah. of properties and she, um, when he moved overseas, she managed his properties. And I, I can remember stories like where people were pouring rice down the yeah. pipes and gunking them up and she would have yeah. to go tell him, Hey, you can't do that, you know? And it would be like right. a, uh, the, when the up, when the downstairs people had problems with their pipes, the upstairs would yep. overflow. It was terrible. And yep, um, yep. So. Yeah. And see that. And that's the difference in the type of tenant that, you know, if you, if you have a higher end where your rents are higher, one, your margins are a lot better. You're, you're able to pay the property manager, which I am paying myself basically to property managers. So it's, right. you know, I think you can have a, a bivocational church planner or be the property manager and get 10% of gross rents. That's the going rate. So, you know, uh, just the property manager on my property uh, 23,000 a year for eight hours a week. Um, it's still pretty good money just to be a property manager, right. but I, obviously I think being an owner manager is the best money. Right. Um, but you know, it, it could be you get started as a property manager, you kind of get your feet wet and, uh, and then you move on up to ownership. Um, there's multiple paths with the bivosolutions.com that we really just wanted to provide the resources to help missionaries and ministers and church planners to to get into the the real estate the high-end multi-unit real estate let me, um, let me ask you this um let's yeah. say i want to raise the cap raise money via i know this is probably anathema to you because you're trying to do this to get away from a fundraising model but um, what if I wanted to raise um, the capital via, you know, uh, kind of like a yeah. church planner does sometimes say, hey, here's a vision I have. I want to do this. I want it to be kind of like uh, John Wesley's foundry, uh, yep. you know, which was a, a disciple, you know, living quarters slash discipleship slash church slash trade school uh, yep. for, you know, it was all the above. It was called the foundry. Um, yep. I want to raise uh, money for that. Boom, go. <laughs> yeah, totally. What do you tell me? Sitting I, across the table at the diner, you tell me, Peyton, you're a nut. Don't do it. No. Or do you say, no. actually, that would work? Actually, that's part of the plan. That's one of the financing that you you don't have to go through a bank. Uh, suppose you got 10 of your, your mission um, donors to each put in 100000 and they create a partnership and uh, buy a million-dollar building. Um, and then you pay them back as, as they're the bank. Um, yeah, I mean, any, there's multiple ways of raising up the money, um, to, to buy these buildings. Can a nonprofit do something like this? I mean, uh, from what I understand, nonprofits can make money as long as it goes back towards a ministry. Is this something a could do? Yeah, totally. Uh, as my um, commercial real estate lawyer, I had lunch with him last week to talk about some of these things. As long as it's get in writing and it's all, you know, every T is crossed and every I is dotted, uh, you can you can legally make a lot work. Right. Um, so, so you know, again, you can't go into an individual's pocket. So like yours is like, hey, I've set my my family up for our, our own account. This is not a nonprofit. We did this. We that's correct. Yeah. made this money. We invested this money. We took loans for this money and we invested it in this property and it's our money versus yep. a church or a nonprofit who says, Hey, we could just fund our ministry this way. 
And right. this will bring in a hundred thousand dollars a year towards that ministry, which then can yep. go towards paychecks and what have you. It's a, sure. but it has to go back towards the ministry. So if you have someone on staff right. doing the ministry, so it's, it's a, it's another step in the chain. Well, Hey, Mark, we're out of time. Um, but I want to ask you, uh, being that you've worked with, um, crew ministries a lot, Bill Bright in his, uh, earlier days, um, the question we like to ask every time, uh, we have this interview is if you and Bill Bright were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Um, Bill, I, I, I know Bill well before he passed away and he's, he was a big, tough, uh, man. He's a big dude, wasn't he? <laughs> He, he was, he, he had me by at least a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, you know, yeah, he was gold, not some he? a heart of gold. Yeah. I mean, every story yeah. you hear about him is you can talk about lost people around him without him crying. Yeah. Hey, Peyton, one last thing before I forget. Oh, I'm coming. Um, yeah. I'm coming back to the good stuff, but we just got to ask that question, but go ahead. Two things that we haven't even touched on is the whole uh, appreciation of equity. You know, when I bought the building in a million eight years ago, it's now being valued at a million nine. Yeah. So my equity is actually a million two. So I'm technically a millionaire because I have a million two in equity. Right. That's that's what I own. Right. And so that's equity is one thing that, you know, you can pass down to your family. Um, the next thing is depreciation. And that's an accounting term, but basically the building depreciates in accounting terms and, and you use the depreciation to write off against the income. Nice. So in the eight years that I've owned it, I have not had taxable income on the building. Wow. All that income coming in from the building because of depreciation, I haven't had any taxable income. So there's, wow. there's a whole nother layer of awesomeness to, to real estate that most people don't even understand. How come people don't and, do that uh, on their houses every year? Yeah, the houses are different than than oh, um man. yeah, houses are different than commercial real estate. Man, that's that's a really good thing to know. I'll tell you. Yeah, I don't think most people know that. So you know, you hear the word tax shelter. Yeah, that's what they're talking about. It's like this asset that I own is sheltering me from taxable income. Um, because of depreciation. That's amazing, dude. Well, hey, we are seriously out of time, and I'm glad <laughs> that you let Bill Bright kick yep. your butt because yeah, know, we, we would, ask everyone to fight someone, and your crew connection meant that you know we're yep. going to have to have you take Bill on, but a great totally. man of God. And brother, we appreciate everything that you've contributed towards uh, you know, missionaries, um, being yourself a missionary, and then hearing this story. like This is the rags to riches story that you want to hear because Wesley was good at this kind of stuff, leveraging yeah. business for mission. So if you want to get more in touch with Mark, you can reach him at markerandall.com. That's R-A-N-D-A-L-L, markerandall.com. You can also check out his website, vivosolutions.com. And if you want to take a peek at the little gym of an apartment building he's talking about, you go to 700 East Ave, that's A-V-E, dot com, 700 East Ave dot com. So um, yep. thanks for joining us today and be sure to check out his first book, which was uh, How to Ask a Millionaire for Money. That's at Amazon.com. Any final words, Mark? Yeah, I just thank you, Peyton, for this platform to share this. And 
I am looking for deal makers, people that are going to help move this forward around the country to help out a lot of people because, you know, we all need some additional sources of funding as missionaries and ministers. Excellent. Well, hey, get in touch with Mark, guys. Mark, thanks for coming on and helping our church planners, man. Your heart is our heart, and that is to make life easier on these guys who are pretty much willing to risk it all and go anywhere for the kingdom. So, all right. Well, hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor. They've been with us for years. I know them personally. Uh, the founder is Josh Henry. He is an ex-church planner. If you wonder why we have so much fun with SimplifyChurch.com's uh, ads, it's simply because we love these guys. We believe in them. I have used them. Gosh, as a church planner, I found them and have been using them for donkey's years. And if you don't know, that means a really long time. So head on over to SimplifyChurch.com. They're going to help you do all the stuff that you need to do, but nobody taught you to do in seminary. Things like bookkeeping, uh, payroll, um, you know, uh, dealing with the IRS, making sure you're compliant, sending end of year uh, donor receipts. If you haven't done that yet, tis the season. Uh, you have until the end of January to get those out to your people. So make sure you head on over to SimplifyChurch.com and let them simplify your church. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.